It's a, a two-lane highway that goes from basically Santa Cruz, you pick it up from the 17, all the way up to San Francisco, going along the peninsula. It's sometimes referred to as Skyline Boulevard because it's simply a two-lane highway that goes along the coastal mountains. That route is quite scenic, I'm told. In fact, there's one place where you can actually see the ocean and San Francisco Bay at the same time. And, of course, you can get a beautiful panoramic shot of Silicon Valley. It's one of those little back road highways, so to speak, that maybe you don't know too much about until you hear someone mention it. And then your interest is kind of peaked and you want to go see it. I've never been on it, but now I'd be interested in taking a drive up there to see what it's like. Well, that's what we're trying to do with this series of messages entitled Back Roads of the Bible, telling you some of those little stories or events that maybe are not so familiar, but they come with a big biblical truth. Well, today I want to take you on Highway 35, but not California 35, Highway 35 of Isaiah, where he talks about a highway and calls it the Highway of Holiness. Here's just one verse from that chapter. He says, And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. Now with California Highway 35, you take that trip and you see a lot of interesting things. And sometimes, you know, when you take trips like that, you, you want to make sure you're taking in as much of the scenery as possible and you might even stop and get out and walk around. But you're also thinking, where does this road take me? What's the whole journey going to be like? Well, that's what Isaiah was doing in chapter 35 as he's talking about this highway of holiness. He is looking around and, and giving us kind of a view of life. Well, if you were to be taking a view of life, what's going on around us, in our city, in our country, in our world, what would you see? Well, you might say, we're seeing a lot of protests and hearing a lot of hatred these days. There's violence. The police are being shot. And there's terrorist attacks going on. And that was all just this week. And then sometimes, you know, we hear of fires and earthquakes in California. We might hear of floods and tornadoes and hurricanes in other parts of the country. We'd look at life and we'd say, I don't know, life is pretty messed up. It's ruined. From the way people are behaving to the way things are going on in nature. Isaiah, when he is taking us on this Highway 35 talks about a desert and a parched land and wilderness. That's what he saw in the land of Israel. Probably looked like this. Kind of looks like some spots in California, huh? And it doesn't look very inviting. It doesn't look like a place where you'd want to settle down and, and live or even take a vacation and enjoy life. But what Isaiah was really trying to picture was not the landscape of Israel, but the spiritual condition of the people. What he saw was a parched land. 
he saw life as ruined because he saw the same thing that we see, sin in people. Now, when we go around and we, we see some of the things that are going on, we kind of like to have a change, right? We'd, we like to see something different. Well, Mark Twain, when he visited Israel, wrote this. He said, it's a desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but it's given over wholly to weeds. It's a silent, mournful expanse, a desolation. I don't think they would have asked him to write a travel brochure for visitors. And because we're always looking for a place that's better, like, you know, some kind of paradise or something. Last couple of days I was flying, and as I'm just flying over and looking out the window, I got kind of tired of seeing all the flat lands and such, and so I went to the little TV screen in front of me and watched a video on Hawaii. Oh, wasn't that beautiful? Well, I don't always have a video of Hawaii in front of me, so sometimes I just take out my phone and, oh, Disneyland is there. That's my happy spot. But what do we do to get away from all the sin and such that's around us? Well, Isaiah tells us there's some hope. There's hope for the people of God because we're ransomed. Listen to what he says. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on it. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it, but only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. He's telling us there's hope because life is better. Now, I told you, he starts out his little travel description talking about wilderness and parched land, but let me fill in the blanks. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it'll burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Wow. Now that could go into a travel brochure, right? He wasn't talking about Hawaii or Disneyland. He was saying, come and see the glory of Lebanon and Carmel and Sharon. And I can tell you're not all very excited. Because you're probably going, well, I don't get it. So let me take you on a little back roads trip to those places. Lebanon is an area that's north of Israel. You see it there circled. It's described as a very lush area, beautiful. In fact, one of the things that stands out about it is its trees, especially the cedar trees. So beautiful and precious was that wood that when Israel built their temple to God and the king's palace, they called for cedar wood to be brought in from Lebanon. It's also an area filled with beautiful, majestic mountains, yes, sometimes covered with snow. And when that snow melts, that water comes down and just feeds that valley so it becomes very lush. The glory of Lebanon 
There's something that feeds the glory to the valleys below. And now he talks about the valleys. He talks about Carmel and Sharon, two areas as he circled there that are south of Lebanon. Carmel might normally be seen as kind of a wilderness area, but Isaiah says it's going to start to blossom. He'll talk about the crocus, like a, like a cactus that will bloom. And he said waters will gush forth from the land. A total transformation. You can see that here as it's pictured with a valley covered with beautiful flowers, or these mountains covered with those beautiful flowers. Wow, what a change is brought to it. We would see there's glory. Now we also spoke of Sharon. Sharon is a plain south of that. It's a plain that lies between the coastal mountains and the Mediterranean Sea. Today it's referred to as the West Bank. From that area you can see the Mediterranean Sea, but it's also an area filled with very lush valleys, filled with beautiful flowers, especially the Rose of Sharon. And I'll make reference to that later on because the Bible talks about the Rose of Sharon. But what he is describing is simply this, that even though life may be seen as a, a parched land and and wilderness, and again, he's describing a spiritual condition. People without faith, people who live in sin, he says a change has come. They have been ransomed. See, a, a key thing that he mentioned was this glory is given to the land. In other words, the land just didn't produce this change of beauty by itself. It was given to it. And, and the same thing is with us. We can't bring about a spiritual change on our own. God is the one who will bring that change. And that will be his glory. All right, so now you're ready to have the glory of God in your life? Well, what is it? Is it that there are some miraculous things that are being done? Some beautiful change in, in how I look and act? The glory of God is simply this. The Apostle John says, the Word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. There's the glory of God. In Jesus, we see God's grace and truth truth. The holiness of God, his righteousness that's given to us through faith in him, God's mercy and his forgiveness. That's the glory of God. That's what will transform, change our lives. Isaiah, in fact, encourages us now. He goes on and says, So strengthen your feeble hands and steady the, we the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. What he's pointing out is, seeing Jesus, knowing God's grace, can change your life. Where before your hands were feeble, they couldn't do much, no, now you can be strengthened because you know God's grace. Where your knees were weak before or your hearts fearful with doubts and worries, that can be strengthened when you know the grace of God. And then he goes on. 
Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. He comes at just the right time. The Apostle Paul said, For you see, at the right time, when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid for our sins. We have eternal life now. The Apostle Paul, when he looked at his life and recounted all of his sins, he said, what a wretched person I am. Who can save me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. And he said that victory comes to us through the resurrection of Christ. Because the resurrection of Christ has swallowed up death. Death has lost its sting and its power because death has been transformed as God's agent to give us life. There's the victory. There's the transformation of life. It's in the grace of God that we see in Jesus. So, we might look around in life as we're driving through and see all the ruin of creation and the nature of man, but there is hope because we have been ransomed from that ruin by Jesus. So you want to look for some change? I think we'd all like to see some change in our country and in our world. But where does that change come from? Well, maybe it needs to start with ourself. We recognize that, you know, it's not just out there, but that sin lives in here too. What we see going on in the world is what goes on in our own heart. It's called sin. And the Bible says sin abounds. But where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. We need to start with our own life and teach our children what is right. We also need to recall what Paul said about these times. He said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What a horrible list. And these people, they think they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Paul's advice, have nothing to do with such people. But look for the change in you. Not a change that you can bring about by yourself. It's a change that must come from God from the glory of God, his grace that will be in our lives. How do I get that change? What do I need to do? Simply trust what God says in his word. Trust what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Realize you live under God's grace. There's a, let's not deny reality. There's a lot of trouble in this world but there's also grace. There's God's love, his provision for us, giving us all that we need. There's his forgiveness. There's his presence walking with us every day. There's his guidance and his reassurance. 
We live under grace. That's what we can see in life. So as we're going through life traveling, let's take a view of life from the real highway that Isaiah was referring to, Jesus. And with him, we can see how life is better. He writes, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. What he's saying is simply, we're changed people now. What he's describing is that our eyes have been opened because our ears have been opened. We have heard the message of God's love. We have heard of his grace, and that has changed our hearts. So now we see God's working, and we see God's will. We see God's grace in Jesus. Paul told us how that comes about. He said, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We see God's glory because God gave us faith in Jesus. When he describes us as, as, as a, a deer that are leaping, He's simply saying, now we have been restored. We've got strength and joy. So we can carry on our life. We can carry on our work for the Lord, understanding that while we live in this world that's messed up, we also live in God's world, a world of grace. And then he describes it this way. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. He's describing a total change again in geographical terms, but trying to picture that for us, it means we have a life that is refreshed. We have the living waters of God's love flowing in our lives. And that will refresh us even when we have to see and put up with and experience the troubles and the ruin of this world. We have God's love. Now he describes how it is that we know we have it. Again, he says there'll be a highway there. It'll be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. The wicked fools will not go about on it. Here's what a highway perhaps looked like in Isaiah's day. Literally, it was a highway. It was a road that was up on the mountainside. It was a roadway that had been lifted up over the flat and rocky wilderness so that it was smooth and distinct. There was no mistaking where it was. It wasn't just some little tracks. It wasn't some footprints that could easily be smoothed over or dusted over that they'd be lost. No, it was a clear, distinct way. And he said, that way is Christ. He said it's the way of holiness. He did not say, if you are holy, you are led to God. No, he said, Christ is the way of holiness. He is the one who brings us to God. 
And then he gives us reassurance when he says, and the fools will not walk on it. The fool being an unbeliever. Now that phrase in the Hebrew could be translated like this. They who travel on the way, even though they are fools, will not go astray. And what he is reminding us of, that even though we walk on that way of Christ, we're still sinners. But if we stay on that way, we won't go astray. The last couple of days, um, I was in uh, Minnesota. I was taking my son to college, and I was driving on a highway, Highway 212. Well, after we left the city of Minneapolis, we saw cornfields and cows and cornfields and cows and more cornfields and cows, and then there would be a church and a cemetery, and then cornfields and cows and cornfields and cows, and a church and a cemetery, and then more cornfields. It was for 90 miles, that's all we saw. I was ready for a change. Now, here's my point. Sometimes people get tired of just hearing about Jesus, and they want to change. They want to look for something else. Maybe something inside them. Maybe something that they can do and feel good and certain about. But that's not it. The reality of being brought to God is by being on the way of holiness, Jesus. And how do we get on that way? God comes to us. He comes to us in word and in sacrament. In the word, God lets us hear his glory, his grace in Christ. In baptism, God clothes us with his glory as he removes our sin and puts Christ's righteousness on us. In the Lord's Supper, he comes with that glory as he gives us Jesus' actual body and blood that paid the price for our ransom. That's where God's glory is. It's in Christ, the certain and secure way. Sadly, not everybody sees that. Some people are distracted by other things or attracted to other things, and they don't see the glory of God in Christ. Paul warned about that. He said, as I've often told you before, and I'll tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. How sad that people don't see Christ. But Paul reminds us when we're on that way that we are safe. For he says, no lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there but only the redeemed will walk there. All those enemies that you would expect to see, those threats from a sinful wilderness, they can't touch you when you're on that way of holiness. Jesus pictured it this way when he described himself as the good shepherd. He says the sheep are safe with him. Nobody can snatch them out of his hand. And so we know that there's nothing along the way that will trip us up. There's no enemy that can touch us. We're safe in Christ. And then, those the Lord has returned, has rescued rather, will return. 
They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. He said our life is simply going to be filled with rejoicing. Is your life filled with rejoicing? Or do you have some fears, some doubts, some complaints? Listen for the grace of God. Know that that grace is in your life. Let it go from your ears to your heart and from your heart to your mouth and to your life and rejoice that you live in the glory of God, his grace in Jesus. So do you want to experience that change? Does it sound like maybe something that's unreachable, impossible? It isn't. Just look at those beautiful valleys that Isaiah pictured and see that rose of Sharon. In the Old Testament book, The Song of Solomon, they use the picture of that rose to talk about the Savior, Jesus. They saw this as the rose. There's different breeds of them. One, white and red, which some say maybe symbolizes that dual nature of Christ. For he was described in that book of Song of Solomon as white and ruddy. Pure because he is God, but ruddy or red because of the sacrifice he would make for our sins. But as those flowers are full of beauty, so God's grace in our life is the beauty of God in our life. And as those fields were wide and open to anybody, they weren't fenced off, it wasn't private property, so the grace of God and his presence is all throughout our life and free for all to take. You want to experience a change? Simply look at Jesus, the glory of God. There's a little poem I found entitled The Rose of Sharon, which points us to Jesus. I find that when I'm down and things are just not right, I can't see where life is going. I need a rose tonight, the rose of Sharon. Tonight my heart is barren. It's what they call you, my Lord and all of heaven. I'm sorry I've drifted. I've drifted away. And now I need a rose to brighten up my day. Rose of Sharon, your scent like nothing I've encountered. Your presence is an answer to a prayer. Now I have the peace I need without a care. Where did I go? How did it happen? I was just right there with you. I got distracted. I took my eyes off you. But you called my name. You rescued me from that place of pain. You helped me find a rose, the rose of Sharon. You see, the glory of God is his grace, and that grace is in Jesus, who died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord both of the living and of the dead. So that's the view of life from Highway 35 of Isaiah. 
It's the highway of Jesus, who is your God, your Lord, your Savior. Keep your eyes on him. Amen.